Welcome to the Lead On Podcast, the very first podcast of 2019. Happy New Year as we prepare for another year of ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, and this is the Lead On Podcast, where every week we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Most of the time, I talk about things that are of interest to you, or at least I hope they are, and sometimes I talk about things that are more personal to me. Today, I hope to merge both of those things together. I'm talking today about an issue that uh, has been problematic for me ever since the seminary moved to Southern California. Uh, my life went through a very significant personal transition at that time, and uh, I have not yet fully recovered some of what I had in the Bay Area and, quite frankly, have had all of my life, and that is um, significant relationships and engagement with non-Christians for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them and uh, seeing them come to faith in Christ and then making disciples of them in their context. I call this <clears throat> process, when leaders do it, breaking out of the Christian subculture. And just some history for me. Uh, when I moved to Portland, Oregon in 1989 and planted a new church, uh, I felt it was very important for me personally to be engaged in doing what I wanted our church members to do, which was uh, be infiltrated into the culture, sharing the gospel with people that I met in those contexts, and then winning them to faith in Christ, seeing them become disciples, and in many cases, become members of our church. And so I did that. And as many of you know, I did that primarily through youth sports. Now, there's nothing magical about sports or youth sports. It just happened that all three of my children were athletes, and they all played multiple sports basically year-round. And so that plunged us into a subculture of youth sports families which meant that we were always either going to a game or going to a practice or going to a team party or somehow uh, involving ourselves in this community of youth sports families. Now, I say community of youth sports families because uh, in many places, the athletes do just what my children did, and that is they go from sport to sport to sport, and the same children do that. Now, there's some exception and some overlap, but you tend to have a nucleus of people that you, you start building relationships with. You share rides, you sit together in, in, in uh, uh, cold bleachers on winter nights, you uh, celebrate the victories, you cry through the defeats, all that stuff that goes along with raising children and being involved in sports and being in a community that does that. So that uh, intensified for me all the way through uh, my time in Oregon in that I was involved not just in youth sports, but I became very much involved in the baseball community, which led me to uh, umpiring, which led me to uh, going to umpiring school, actually, and then umpiring really for amateur baseball at a, at a fairly high level uh, on ESPN one night, that kind of thing. So I, I had a great, great time of doing that while I was in Oregon. And through that ministry, saw people come to faith in Christ, saw lives transformed, uh, became almost an unofficial chaplain to the baseball community in that, in, that, in that area. Then I moved to the Bay Area. And I thought when I moved there that my baseball life was over, that I would move on from that. My children were no longer in our home. I had no real connections, uh, et cetera. But when I moved to the Bay Area, within a month or two after I arrived there, two things happened. One... I received a contact from the San Francisco Giants asking if I would be willing to meet with them about working as their chaplain. Uh, and they referenced my past baseball experience in having done that. Uh, and then the uh, other call came from a local Little League uh, administrator who said, hey, the people in Oregon contacted me and said uh, you're a pretty good umpire and that you're a great guy to have around. 
uh, I'd like for you to join our team and be a part of our league and a part of our district. And so I wound up doing that as well. And so for my whole time that the seminary was in the Bay Area, I was very much again immersed in the baseball community. <clears throat> and through that means, um, gave me the opportunity to share the gospel, win people to faith in Christ, and see lives transformed. In fact, uh, just last week, I had a phone call from a player uh, who I led to faith in Christ about five years ago, and he and his wife both became Christians through our witness, and then they've continued to grow and develop, and he's now writing a book about his Christian faith and journey. And uh, <clears throat> being interviewed for that was really a, a real, it was really a true highlight for me because it reminded me once again of how God used me in that community to carry the gospel message forward. But then I moved to South, Southern California. And in moving here, uh, there were a couple of things that, that really changed. Number one, uh, the, the, the prolonged process of relocating the seminary really sucked up every spare minute of my life for about two years. I have a hard time even describing to you what it was like for uh, that process to unfold. And then another thing that happened was um, I, I reached a, a, a milestone, if you will. I'd been umpiring for 25 years when we moved here. And uh, because of the need, uh, because of the lack of time that I had, as I've just described, and because of the, the difficulties of really getting networked into a new community here, and also, frankly, uh, just the fact that I'm older and and uh, umpiring eventually is going to have to end just because from a physical standpoint, you, you really can't do it as well. Um, for those reasons, I knew that uh, it was probably time for me to move on. And so since I've been in Southern California, I've really not tried to engage the baseball community. I've just moved on, to, uh, I've moved on from that phase of my life. Well, that's my history, but quite honestly, these last two years have been very difficult for me in this regard because I feel that I have disconnected from the primary place where I have always uh, been a frontline witness, a disciple maker, uh, and frankly, ministry example to many people that I'm training. I have, since I've been here, uh, been completely uh, consumed with what happens in what I call the Christian subculture. Now, that's not necessarily bad. Um, I have a rich and full life. In fact, I have more opportunity uh, to speak and teach and write and lead. I have more opportunity than I, I've ever had in my lifetime and really uh, more than any person should ever ask for or expect. God certainly has been good to me in this regard. But this raises the dilemma. And it's a dilemma that I've taught about and that I've battled against. And quite honestly, I feel like I've been losing uh, the battle about in the past two years. And it's one of my resolutions, if you will, for 2019, that I'm going to uh, reinvigorate my efforts and refocus my efforts in finding a way to be engaged meaningfully in a non-Christian community and to find myself once again doing what I've done all my life, and that is share the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ through my personal witness much more effectively than I've been doing recently. So what is the dilemma for Christian leaders? I've illustrated it by my life. Let me summarize it this way. The first part of the dilemma for Christian leaders is that the more we, are, the more we lead and the more effective we become, the more we are ensnared or encapsulated or immersed in the Christian subculture. You know, today uh, I could speak somewhere every weekend and many days of the week if I chose to allow that much activity on my schedule. I, I could teach here at the seminary as many classes as I was willing to be scheduled to teach. I, 
I'm the president and, and I, I have coursework that people want me to deliver. I have uh, writing opportunities and those writing opportunities are rich and varied and meaningful to me and I enjoy doing it. Um, I'm involved in a church and my church calls me regularly and asks me to uh, teach or preach or in some way participate in the leadership there. And so my life is, if I allow it to be, completely uh, encaptured or completely in, encapsulated by the Christian subculture. I am uh, surrounded by Christians. I work with Christians. I fellowship with Christians. I recreate with Christians. I do everything with Christians. Another dilemma that we face is that the longer we're in Christian leadership, the harder it is to model infiltrating communities with the gospel. Uh, when I was in pastoral ministry and as a church planter, and as I've described even at my time in the Bay Area, uh, people who were in my church or students in our seminary looked to me not just to teach these things that I'm describing today, but to model them as well. In fact, I've jokingly said that the two most uh, common questions I've been asked by seminary students over the years are not deep theological questions or questions about the seminary's budget or fundraising or policies. The two most common questions I've been asked over the years by seminary students are, number one, um, how did you raise such a healthy family in the ministry? And that's for a different podcast. And number two, uh, how's it going with the Giants? What's happening there lately? Because students wanted to know what I was doing in personal witnessing, personal disciple-making, and seeing people come to faith through my witness. So the longer you're a Christian leader, the harder it is to model that kind of lifestyle because you can be, as I've already said, completely immersed in the Christian subculture, and it gets harder and harder and harder to model what you want your followers to do. Now, another dilemma we face is that the longer we lead as Christians, the more rewards there are for ministering to Christians. And this surprises people, but for 10 years, I was the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants, and I was a volunteer. I was not paid one dime for that 10 years of work. And I devoted about 15 weekends a year and multiple other days a year to the Giants, uh, ministering, responding to phone calls and texts, sharing the gospel, leading Bible studies, leading chapel, uh, all the things that go on with being the chaplain in a secular organization. I did that for 10 years without compensation. Now, I was fortunate the organization that sponsors baseball chap or sponsors chapel called Baseball Chapel uh, was able to pay some expenses for some of the travel and other things that related to the job, but there was never any expectation I would be paid to do that. Now, in contrast to that, uh, when people asked me to speak at a church or they asked me to speak at a major conference or they asked me to come and do their men's retreat, uh, while I have no speaker's fee and charge no one anything for anything that I ever do, uh, it's not uncommon for people to give me a gift of some kind or to, uh, to express their appreciation for my coming in a financial way. Now, uh, that, quite frankly, is a nice reward, and it's a nice extra. In fact, my wife spends all that money on our grandchildren, which is a great thing. But nevertheless, uh, there are rewards for ministering to Christians. And beyond the financial rewards, there's the rewards of appreciation expressed, prestige gathered, seeing your name in programs. I mean, uh, there are rewards for ministering to Christians that simply don't come uh, from showing up to umpire Little League games two nights a week so you can build relationships with players, coaches, and umpires in that district so that you might have the chance to share the gospel with them. Those rewards are just not quite as extensive. And then another part of the dilemma is the longer we lead, the more isolated from lost people we become. 
man, I feel this, this sense of isolation profoundly as a seminary president. You know, I work in a private office. You have to push your way past two or three people to even get to see me. Um, I'm, I'm uh, traveling alone a lot of the time. I'm studying. I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm preparing for meetings or for messages or for conferences. I spend a significant amount of time alone, and because of that, um, I can find myself isolated, not just from lost people or non-Christians, but isolated from people in general. So this is the dilemma we face. We are encapsulated, immersed, ensnared by the Christian subculture. The longer we lead, the harder we find it to model infiltrating communities with the gospel. And the longer we lead, the more difficult it is to step out of those roles because, frankly, we get our rewards, both financial and emotional and psychological, from being involved in Christian leadership. And the more isolated from lost people we can become. Now, the... the uh, blindedness that we have to this dilemma came home to me uh, in a conversation I had once with a person who thought they understood what I was talking about but really didn't. Uh, I was in a meeting in which I was talking about the importance of infiltrating community with the gospel and as I finished my uh, short presentation this man said to me at, at the break, I really appreciated what you had to say and I have a great example of how we're doing that in our church. I said, well, that's awesome. I want to hear your story. So he said, here's, the, here's what happened. Uh, in our church, there was a woman who had a passion for reaching uh, unwed mothers with the gospel. And so she uh, went to two or three people in our church who had expertise in business and finance and property and other things. Uh, she worked with them to put together a small group that uh, formed a ministry that was going to reach out to these women. And they rented a small house, raised enough money to get that done, uh, and moved in their first woman, and then another, and then another. And he told me the story of how this ministry had developed in their church of reaching out to women who were uh, pregnant but not married, and the results that had come from that, including some who'd come to faith in Christ and become part of their church and had their lives truly changed. Well, that was a great story. And when he finished it, I said, that is an awesome story. But unfortunately, it's not anything what I'm talking about. He looked at me shocked. What, what do you mean? It's, it's not what you're talking about. I said, it's not anything about what I'm talking about. It's a good story of a church inviting non-Christians into their sphere of influence. It's not a good story of taking the gospel into the community and making a difference there. So he said, well, could you explain it to me again? Because I really don't understand, but I want to understand what you're talking about. So that led me to make this presentation to him, and I'm going to make it to you this morning. I'll start it this week, and we'll carry on through the podcast next week. The first thing you have to understand about uh, infiltrating communities with the gospel is that there are really three basic approaches to evangelism or outreach in, in churches today. Uh, these three basic approaches or broad categories would be attraction strategies, engagement strategies, and infiltration strategies. Attraction, engagement, infiltration. Now let me define each one of these and then go back and illustrate um, how they uh, are differ different from each other. First of all, an attraction strategy is a Christian event or program designed to accommodate unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ an attraction strategy. It's a Christian event or program designed to accommodate unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. An attraction strategy says essentially, you come to our event 
and we will make that event comfortable for you so that you might hear the gospel and respond. Now, an engagement strategy. An engagement strategy is an event or program designed to extend ministry to unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus. So again, an engagement strategy is an event or program designed to extend ministry to unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus. Now, frankly, the story I've already told you about this man that I met whose church had a ministry to unwed mothers, that is a great example of an engagement strategy. This is when a church or a ministry organization creates an event or program and extends that into the community, but in, and, and by doing so, invites unbelievers to participate and be introduced to Jesus. But the third category of outreach or evangelism strategies are what I call infiltration strategies. Now, this is the deployment of believers throughout the culture to introduce unbelievers to Jesus Christ in their context. So again, an infiltration strategy is the deployment of believers throughout the culture to introduce unbelievers to Jesus Christ in their context. So, attraction, engagement, infiltration. Now let me illustrate the differences uh, using some common uh, themes or subjects that we use for outreach or for evangelism. First of all, let, let's talk about uh, using sports. Uh, an attraction strategy might be having a rally with a Christian athlete. For example, uh, you invite the quarterback of your high school football team or you invite uh, a prominent basketball player from a local college or if you have the resources, you invite a pro athlete who uh, is a well-known Christian and you organize a worship service or a rally and you have that person, you invite un unbelievers to come and the gospel is presented and they have an opportunity to respond. That's an attraction strategy. The person doing the speaking attracts people to the event. Well, still with sports. Uh, an engagement strategy might be operating a youth sports program in the community. That you start a program uh, in your church uh, and you extend it into the community by saying, while our church is going to operate this program, we're going to, we're going to uh, allow the community to join. We're going to actually shape it so that the community will participate. We might even sponsor the league or the program or the activity in a local uh, gym or a public park so that it really is in the community and for the community. But what about an infiltration strategy? Well, an infiltration strategy is coaching Little League. Uh, it's signing up to work in a secular organization uh, to take on a responsibility whereby you'll be assigned some people that you're going to work with over a period of months and, that, and building relationships with them for the purpose of sharing the gospel. That's an infiltration strategy. Uh, and that's going into the community, joining the community on their terms, and making a difference there for the gospel. All right, let's talk about uh, Bible study or communicating the gospel through Bible teaching. Uh, an attraction strategy might be a Sunday school where you invite people to come to your church to participate in your Bible study. That's an attraction strategy. You create something that's attractive to people and you invite them to participate. An engagement strategy might be that your church decides to organize a Bible study program that you take into the community. So, for example, you have a Bible study program that you take into a local prison, or you have a Bible study program that you organize um, at midnight when the men are coming off the night shift at a local plant. So you organize the Bible study as a church, but you extend it by engaging the community by putting that activity in the community where it's accessible to them. 
But an, an infiltration strategy would be different. That's like volunteering to be a corporate chaplain like I did with the Giants. An infiltration strategy is saying, I'm going to go into a company or an organization. I'm going in on their terms, and there, and there I'm going to organize a Bible study opportunity or a ministry opportunity or an opportunity to study and talk about the gospel in their, on their turf, on their terms, uh, under their direction. All right, let's talk about children's programming for a moment. Uh, an attraction strategy would be something like opening a children's home uh, where you create, for example, an orphanage and say, we're going to create a place that will attract people to bring us children in distress or will attract children in distress. We're going to create a, a, a program or a ministry that attracts people and we can care for them in that context. Uh, an engagement strategy might be an after-school mentoring program where you go across the street from your church to the local elementary school and you say, how can we help you going forward? And they say, well, we need a mentoring program. And you say, great. So you organize people in your church to go across the street once a week and teach reading or math or do other tutorials to help students that are uh, not getting the support they need outside the classroom to do their homework and other things like that. Uh, that's an engagement strategy. That's a church organizing a project but going into the community with that program or project. But what would infiltration look like? Well, that would be something like joining the adult, or excuse me, joining the foster care system, where you actually become part of the state system for caring for children, but in that context, share the gospel, involve those children in your family's religious activities and in your church's religious activities. You, play, you find yourself in infiltrating into a secular organization or secular setting and uh, thereby sharing the gospel. You know, some churches have actually taken, the, taken this on as a project. We had, when I was working in the Pacific Northwest, a church that decided uh, to become the primary provider of foster care families for their county. Uh, their county had a crisis of underserved children in this regard, and the church took it on as a project and uh, trained many people, or excuse me, motivated many people to go and take the training the state offered and infiltrate that system and, pre and become uh, if not the, certainly a primary provider of foster care in that community. So, breaking out of the Christian subculture begins by understanding the different approaches to outreach or evangelism. There's attraction strategies, engagement strategies, and infiltration strategies. And of course, I'm trying to emphasize the third one on this podcast. I want you to ask yourself, are you infiltrating the culture with the gospel? If not, why not? And if so, how can you do it more effectively? Now, before we move on to next week's podcast, let me wrap this one up by saying that there are some overarching observations I want to make about these three approaches to evangelism. The first, all three strategies or all three approaches have value. Please don't hear me saying that attraction is bad or engagement is bad. They're not bad, but they're not the only ways that we're going to have to work to get the gospel into community. I think that they all have strengths and they all can make a contribution. Second, synergy among these three strategies makes all three more effective. In other words, if you're a little league coach infiltrating a community of base, uh, infiltrating the baseball community with the gospel, and you can invite your friends from there to come back to church with you, not as the only way they can hear the gospel, because you're going to share it with them in the context where you've met them and in the context where your relationship exists. But if in addition to that, you can invite them to your church, which will have a very strong attraction-based worship service, that's going to double or synergize, if you will, the impact of your witness. So synergy between these three approaches makes all three more effective. 
I would also say another observation is that attraction and engagement strategies are, from my perspective, becoming increasingly inadequate for reaching secular people. Um, most secular people are not attracted to your worship services or to your Christian organization or to your Christian activities. You say, oh, but our church is full every Sunday. Yeah, I understand that. Drive around your community. Uh, you'll see for if there's, if there's 250 people at your church, I can take you somewhere in your community on a Sunday morning where there'll be 1,000 people watching youth soccer or 1,000 people playing adult softball. It happens in every community. People are not that attracted to what we're doing. But there is still value in it, but we just can't say that's our only way of doing it. And engagement's the same way. Yes, it's fun to start ministries, and it's meaningful to start ministries and to take them into the community, and I certainly want you to keep doing that. But you have to understand that most communities are not going to be significantly or dramatically impacted just by that approach alone. Frankly, most of these approaches are largely ignored, and they're also very difficult to do and becoming even more difficult to do because of two reasons. One, they're very expensive financially, and number two, they are very uh, intensive on the, 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 the human hours it takes to make them happen. And so for these reasons, attraction and engagement are not perhaps as effective as standalone strategies as they once were. And then finally, uh, resistance to infiltration strategies is rooted in something that we don't like to talk about, but I'm going to address it here on the podcast. The reason that many Christian leaders do not want to be involved in infiltration strategies is because infiltration strategies mean that you minister in venues where you are not in control. You know, when you have an attraction strategy, you pick the speaker, you, set, you choose the music, you set the mood of the facility, you control who comes and who goes. You can even put a sign up out front that says that you can control who comes and who goes. Engagement strategies are the same way. Uh, you can decide who you allow into the group or who you connect with in the ministry or where you place that ministry as you engage the community that you select. But infiltration strategies, no control. When I was working with the San Francisco Giants, I walked into that, into that uh, stadium every single time as their guest. I have many, many stories I could tell you of how positive and how supportive they were of, of the chapel ministry that I was able to do. But there were also times, frankly, when they weren't, and especially when individuals in the organization uh, were not pleased that I was present or with what I was doing. And in those cases, I had to do what the organization said and go by the organization's rules or go by the directive I was given by the person in charge. I was not in control. When I, went in, when I was on a Little League board, I could not influence the profanity and the gossip and the backbiting that went on in those meetings. Uh, other than my, than my own character being on display and trying to influence through that means, I was not able to control what was said or done as an outcome in those meetings. Um, when you are working in a secular setting like the, uh, like the foster care system, you will not get to set all the rules. You have to find a way to infiltrate those settings with the gospel. So today we've talked the first part of this two-part podcast of breaking out of the Christian subculture. Uh, we have to be careful as Christian leaders that we don't become so immersed in what we're doing that we lose all contact, all touch, all meaningful relationship with non-Christians and all significant effort uh, to reach them with the gospel. I'm challenging you today uh, to join me in making 2019 a year of intense, intensely focused effort on breaking out of the Christian subculture and engaging lost people with the gospel. There are a lot of reasons why this is hard, but there are also some practical strategies we can put into effect that will help us do it more effectively, and I'm going to talk about that next week on the podcast. Hey, it's 2019. It's a great opportunity. Lead on. <laughs>